Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? That is not bad. Let me read something to you. Jesus, in the New Testament, as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to look a little bit at Matthew this morning. As we open up the New Testament, we begin to see the story of Jesus. We see it in Matthew. Mark, Luke, uh, and John all tell the story from their perspective. We get four different views of the life of Jesus as he launches in his birth on through beginning his ministry. At 30 years old, he begins his ministry. He begins walking from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue, from home to home, opening up the scrolls and beginning to teach. You see, synagogues happened in towns all over that area. Here's the reality. A town would get maybe up to about 10 families together. And when they got about 10 families together, they would actually build another building in their little town. And that was called their synagogue. They met on the weekend and they worshiped God together in their little Jewish communities in their synagogue. Then throughout the week, the rabbi, the leader, the religious leader in the town, would begin to teach school in the same little buildings. It was the same thing that happened all across America as our nation from the East Coast began to grow and cross all out through the West, little towns would appear over and over. And when groups got to be about 10 people, they would build a building and they would worship God on weekends in that building. And then throughout that week, children would be taught to read and education would begin to happen. All of this happened through the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as he gathers in Matthew chapter 4, we begin to see them talking about this, about him all through the areas and towns. He begins to teach. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually starts this very large sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Bible scholars believe it was longer than a day long. Some say several days long. And as he begins in chapter 5, he starts with something called the Beatitudes. It's the first, really the main eight chapters, but then, then, then the next two verses, he takes it even farther. So really you could say there are eight, but ten or even twelve Beatitudes. And, and I grab my message Bible. I, I want you to hear just a few of these as Jesus teaches them. He gives this teaching as general life principles. He talks about the fact over and over again that there is the kingdom of God and then that there's the kingdom of the world. There are these two different kingdoms. All through scripture we see this. God talks to us about these two different kingdoms. For, for us really the kingdom of this world is largely our culture, the way the world around us operates. And the kingdom of God, we open up and we look at from his word. And in, in, in verse 3, he starts out with these beatitudes. And this is from, this is from a, the Message Bible. So the, the English should be very relevant to us. There should be clarity to us. He starts out, he's saying, blessed. You're blessed 
when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more of God. And then he goes on in verse 4. He says, you're blessed when you feel Minor little detail. You're, you're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment that you find yourself proud. You find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed. When you get inside your world, inside your mind, inside your heart, when you get those areas put right, then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you'll discover who you really are and your place in God's family. At the end of my message, I'm, I'm going to come back to that very last one. Jesus taught these principles, general life principles, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And as we are looking at this series and relationships, I, I, I intentionally went back to the Beatitudes and we're applying these life principles, spiritual principles, in light of our relationships and Danny launched us off with, with chapter 13. If, if you're look, looking to build a life relationship with someone, Danny gave you the formula to do that in, in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one of the themes of, of, of the last few weeks have been, and if you haven't been here, haven't been taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. And if you missed this, I would encourage you to go back to the second week and do not miss that message. Because we're wrapping this part of the series around not just being a Christian family, but about being Christ-centered homes. In our culture, most of us still call ourselves a Christian family. We call ourselves Christians, but the reality is so many in our culture don't live that way. And that's why I put this distinction between just not just calling ourselves a Christian family, but actually intentionally being a christ centered home. And I gave three points all of these last three weeks. I've been very intentional about taking this to a very practical level that you and I can do this. And Karen and I talked about being peacemakers last week because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And our discussion over these last few weeks has been about the family. And, and, and here's the reality, church. The family matters. Your family matters. You say, James, you don't know how dysfunctional my family is. Maybe, but it matters. 
Our families are what God has been working in and through. Our families are what God has been building. And with his grace and his mercy, he even takes messes that we make in our families and he turns them into things that honor him and and he turns them into positive and he fixes the things that we mess up. And our goal has been so that that you and I can help our families see God as loving, as approachable, and as involved. And I laid out three points for that. You and I can do this in our families. It's so easy to open up God's Word to a passage of Scripture like this and think, yeah, but I'm not really that spiritual. Or I, I I don't think that I can get... If you knew my husband, you would know, James, we could never get. And yet the reality is when we begin to simply apply this in our life, God accomplishes in our families and through our families the very thing that he talks about. You were designed and created by God. He has a passion for you. You are the most important thing, and he created the universe. He sustains the universe so that we could be, so that that there could be a place that relationship with him happens. He created all this and then created us. He created this for us. This is all his design, his involvement, and he did it because he cares that much about us individually. This, this is not an ideology. This is not a, a thought process that we embrace to kind of make our lives better. This is Jesus, the son of the living God, creator of the universe, pointing to you and I and saying, blessed. You're blessed because I love you that much because I created this for you. And then in a fallen, broken world, I did everything necessary so that we could be in relationship together. He did did that because we matter to him. And he didn't do it because we matter to him as a group of people or a bunch of different groups of people and nationalities and... He did it because we matter to him on this individual, personal level. You may be better than I am. I cannot wrap my brain around that. But I believe him. I believe him. And you know what he's done? He's changed my life. And we sit in this room and and we're followers of Christ and we're in this process. We're in this process of allowing him to be our savior. Matthew chapter five, verse eight. In the NIV, I just read it in, in, in the message, but in the NIV, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What, what, what does that mean? Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is pointing to something, and he's pointing to something perfect. 
He's pointing to his process. He's pointing to what he wants to do. He's pointing to what he is going to do. Blessed are the pure in heart. That word heart in the original language there, in the Greek language, is the word cardio. Sound familiar? Sounds like the exercise I'm supposed to be doing. Cardio, the, the part of the human body that actually brings life to every area in the human body, to every one of, of the systems that God has placed in our body. The, the part of the body that pumps life to my thought process, to, to the way I feel, to every area of me. And that's where Jesus is pointing to, and he's using it as a metaphor in the Beatitudes. And he's saying, blessed are those who are pure, who, who, who are getting all of their energy, everything that is coming into to them from a pure source directly from him. And, then, and, and, and he talks about these two kingdoms. That's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world. And here's the reality. We live our lives wrapped around by the culture, by the kingdom of this world, by, by everything around us. It, it so determines so much of what we do, so much of what we think, so much of what we feel. And Jesus says, no, no. That's where I want you to go. And he points to this pure heart. And in our culture, we throw this word heart around a lot. We say things like, well, he, she's got a good heart. She's a blithering idiot, but she's got a good heart. We say things like, hey, just, just trust your heart. And we look at our teenagers and tell them to follow their heart. And I've watched married couples file, follow their heart right out of their marriage. You see, the truth is, without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Because this is a fallen and it's a broken world. Without Christ doing surgery on us, there's no such thing as a pure heart or even a good heart. In Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah puts it this way. Jeremiah, look at this. He's, he says, if you want to know about the human heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. The truth is, guys, we can lie to ourselves more than anybody else. How many of you guys have left the dealership, driven home, pulled in the driveway, pulled your list out of the reasons why you really need to have this brand new truck that you just signed all the papers for, and you're convincing your wife as to why we really need to do this? But what you didn't do is bring out the list of all the reasons why you absolutely should not do this. And you pour everything inside of you into this discussion so you can keep that four-wheel drive truck. And Ezekiel's looking at you square in the face, and he's saying, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And then he goes beyond that, and he says, it's, it's desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it really is? 
only the Lord. Went to a movie theater probably about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, a couple of our family members, and to save money, uh, one of us came up with the idea to make popcorn at home and bring popcorn in a plastic bag and candy in a plastic bag and sneak it into the theater. Ironically, while we're sneaking it into the theater, we're sitting down and we're eating it, the comments were made that what we shouldn't do was spill popcorn and candy on the floor. Okay, so it's okay to sneak it into the theater, but whatever you do, don't spill it on the floor. Because, because the mind is deceitful above all things. Who can know it but God? We can rationalize all kinds of stuff. We'll give our 14-year-old a mobile device that will have access to everything on the planet. And our culture will look us in the face and say, that's normal. We will take our hard-earned money and spend it on entertainment that we know is piercing the heart of God. And yet Jesus says to us, be pure in heart. How do we create a culture of purity? How do we do that in our families? I, I, I want to look at that this morning. And one of the things, and I've talked about this over and over, then God intentionally purposes to, to change our thinking. He always goes for our thought process. Because when he changes our thinking, our thinking changes the way we feel, and the way we feel changes the way we act. It happens in all the areas in our lives. The way we think just controls the way we feel. But if we follow our culture, our culture will say, follow your heart. We look at our singles and, and we push them out into the world and, and, and we let the culture dictate how they build and shape critical relationships in life and then we wonder why they're struggling. There are three things I want to look at this morning very quickly with you. In creating a heart of purity, first focus on your own heart. Every one of us needs to focus on our own heart. You focus on you. Jesus says, why, 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 are you, why are you trying to get the splinter out of your neighbor's eye? Dude, you got a beam in your own eye. You focus on you. Here's a clue. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or if you're 88, you focus on your heart. I focus on my heart. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. Bible calls him the wisest man who ever lived. Not just our Bible. Secular writings for centuries have pointed to Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon looks you and I square in the face and he says, listen, on this subject, here's my best advice. My best advice to you is above all else, the most important thing you can do is guard your 
heart. You are the gatekeeper of what comes into your heart. Because out of your heart is going to flow everything else. It's the wellspring of what you think, feel, and it will show in its actions. When you're looking how to behave, guard your heart. When we're looking at what to allow into our families, what we're going to read, what we're going to see, Solomon says, guard your heart. When we're making decisions as to who we're going to let into our lives as our friends, as, as our close-knit the, the people that are going to be a part of our living because show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Solomon says, guard your heart. Guard it. Protect it. Because it is the wellspring. It's where everything in you is going to come out of. From the, from the heart is where the mouth speaks. So Lord, help me. Guard my heart. Lord, help me keep my heart guarded and help me to keep it right. And the second thing is parents. We are to parent the hearts of our children. As parents, we, we tend to parent actions. Our, our kid does something really wrong, and so we, we go to our kid and say, you can't do that. Don't do that. And we tell them that they need to change their behavior. You, you need to have respect for people. Don't, don't ever do... And, and, and we parent to actions when what we should be doing is parenting to actions but shepherding their heart. What, what does that mean? That means while we tell them the what... Billy, you, you really should not go and talk to someone like that. Or you should not steal candy from the store like that. And, and we give them the what. But then we stop. And, and after we've given them the what, we step over here and we give them the why. And we explain the why in a way that it seeps into their thought process. And they understand the why. And the why becomes a part of their thought process. And the way you and I have described it and lived it and shared it, it, it finds its way into their heart. And then as parents, we have not only taught them how to behave, but we've given them the reason for that behavior and why that matters in their relationship with God, in their relationship with others, and why that will take their life and create value and why that will move them down the path of blessed are the pure in heart. 1 Samuel 16, he puts it this way. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. As parents, we are shepherding our children's hearts. When we shepherd their hearts, we are growing them from the inside out. 
And the way they think will determine the way they feel. And the way they act will follow from it. Jesus was fanatical about this. Jesus always went for the heart. Jesus knew that if he got the heart, everything else was coming along with it. Because the heart is the center. It's where life flows from. And he pursued the heart. He'd open up his Bible. He'd say, Old Testament says, do not murder. He would read the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. And Jesus would say, hold it. Don't even hate. Don't even hate. If you get this right at the heart level, you'll never, you will never even get to the place where murder is an option. He points to the Old Testament, points to the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Jesus says, hold it. Hold hold it. Let's go to the heart. See, if you thought about committing adultery, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So don't go there. He, he was fanatical about reaching people at a heart level. Over and over again, he talked to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees. He said, you guys, you put this religious show on. You're so good. You got this down pat. But I know your heart. And the language that he used with their heart in the original language, it was, it was you know, you, you're putting this show on, but your hearts are filthy. And we realize this with our kids. Joey, go apologize to your sister. No. Joey, go apologize to your sister. Okay. I'm sorry, stupid. <laughs> the, the, See, the heart. Was his heart right? No. We need to give him the what, and we need to give him the why. Because if we don't do that, our kids will hit 18 or whatever, at whatever age they leave, and they will leave our house, and they will go absolutely crazy because you may have modified behavior, but you have never reached the heart. And the heart is ready to just go off. And finally, if we want our homes to be Christ-centered homes, then we're going to, number one, guard our own heart. And number two, we're going to shepherd the hearts of our children. And the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to pursue purity of heart. It sounds so mystical. We're living in this culture it almost sounds impossible, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I've committed everything so that I can do this in your life. He, he loves us so much. When he left, he said to the disciples, he said, listen, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going to be gone. But listen to me, listen to me. It's, good. it's actually good for you that I'm going. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, my very thought process, my heart. 
I'm going to send it to live inside of you. When you and I accept Christ as our Savior and he becomes our Savior in this fallen and broken world, when we leave this place, we're going to be with him instantly. And by the way, we're all leaving this place. You think you have a world of time ahead of you? I don't know how much time you have ahead of you. But what he does is he guarantees us that forever we will be with him in heaven, number one. Number two, he commits to us to in this life, walking through this life, life with us, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord, the one who designed and created everything and sustains everything and has that same commitment to you and to me in our personal lives. Because you matter to him that much. And he says, I'm going to do it. And then he says to the disciples, I want you to wait. I want you to go to the upper room. They pointed to this place, and they all knew where to go. And they went and, they went and they met there. He says, all I want you to do, I don't want you to get out on the street and start preaching. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to go, and I want you to wait. And they obeyed. And they listened to him, and they waited. And he sent, he, he did what he said he was going to do. He sent his Holy Spirit that infilled every one of them, 120 of them, and transformed them forever. And they walked out into the, their community. And their world over time was changed. And our world over time was changed. And he is still in filling lives. Everyone who comes to him and accepts him as their Savior and believes on him, his Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and he's in this process of not just saving us but sanctifying, changing us, making us more and more to what he wants us to be, pure in heart. But James, you don't, you don't see what a wreck I am. Every one of us is all over the place. Here's, here's where you are. You're, you're either walking forward or you're falling back. As we together are walking and following Christ, we are getting closer and closer to what he wants to create and do in us and through us. And the only problems that we have, <laughs> this, this is you, me, are the areas in our lives that we push them out of, that, that we don't let them into. I, I got this one, Jesus. It's okay. I got entertainment. I got that. You just, it's a, uh, my, 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 this relationship, I, I got this. Don't just. You'll notice I use the word pursue. Because we don't have the ability to have a pure heart. We just don't have it. But in Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Guys, I've watched people come to Christ. Follow Christ. And I've watched him develop a new heart in people over and over and over. He's committed to this. 
And, and, and we, we don't have to worry about what we have or don't have, or, or if we have enough of this or we don't, or if we have money or we don't, or if we live in a nice home. Or we, he doesn't do it according to that. The Bible says he does it according to his riches in glory, which, by the way, means he's God. There's nothing he doesn't have, nothing he can't do, and you and I are that important to him where he will put all of his resources into our relationship with him. You matter to God that, that much. And we live in a culture that says you can't. We live in a culture that says do life this way. We live in a world where everything is pulling in this direction. And he wants a tender and responsive heart. And he wants to do that in us. I want to jump to another subject. I want to spend the last few minutes on this. And, I, and I've already gone longer than I wanted to, but th this, this is, I, I just believe this is necessary. As we look at our culture, as we look at what's going on around us in the political arena, and, and I'm, 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 I'm going to be very intentional to just not let politics come in here, but there are things that happen in our culture that, that, that we as a church need to recognize, and I, I just want to go to where Jesus is. And you can, you can be a Republican and, and you, can, you, can make, you can come up with reasons from Scripture why Jesus is on your team. And you can be a Democrat and, and you can open up your Bible and, and you can point to Scriptures. And, and politicians do this all the time and, and point to why Jesus is a Democrat or Jesus would be a Republican. And, 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 that, and, and we're living in a culture where the fervor is up here with hate and distortion and lies. And there is so much of it. And our culture has two ideologies, and, and if you watch Fox News, and, and you're, 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 looking, you're leaning to the right, and, and if you watch MSNBC or CNN, you're, you're, you're leaning to the left. And, and we're thinking, how on earth can I, can I be a Christian and love my brother if he's a Democrat or if, I, if he's a Republican or a Libertarian? And, 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 and we're, we're facing this culture-wise. And Jesus is pointing, blessed are the pure in heart. And the culture around us, and, and I'm, I'm stopping right here with our church because it's not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. But where does that put us? Where, where does that leave us? I want to go and look at Jesus' words in John 17. Because Jesus prayed for something for us that I don't think we pray for ourselves. And this is the culture around us, church. This is where things are. And some of you, you vote Democrat. And some of you, you vote Republican. And some of you, you vote Libertarian. And some of you just scratch your heads and look at it all. And I get that. 
And some of these people are flat out crazy. And I get that. And, and fear, fear is perpetrated. Fear of what, of going back to what things used to be like or fear of where, where it might get taken and people are concerned and, and we should have our political positions. We should know where we stand. We, we, we should understand. We should walk away from talking points. But I want to look at what Jesus said. Because in Jesus' day, the Jewish people lived in a culture where the Roman world was over them. They, they were under the authority of the Roman world. They actually thought that Jesus was setting up a kingdom that was going to free them from all this, and they were going to be in charge. And Jesus said, I didn't, I, I didn't come to join any side. I came to take over. That's what I came to do. And then he stopped. And remember his last words to the disciples, the world is going to know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers, the way you love one another. That's how they're going to know. And then in John 17, Jesus is talking to his father. And look what he says. He says, I'm praying. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them. See, they've become my followers, and he's talking about the 12, and he's talking about the leaders. I'm praying for them, he says, but I'm praying for the people, that's us, by the way, who will come because of them. They transformed their world and transformed every generation since. And people today are still being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, in talking to his Father, I'm praying for them, but also those who believe in me because of them and their witness about me, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. In other words, the stuff that's going on, look, we have your political party. Have your political opinion. You need to, to be responsible. But this stuff, and, and Jesus said, I will build my church. You see, politics is not the hope of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And Jesus said, they'll know that you're my church by the way you love one another. I have two suggestions. Two suggestions. Number one, let's do what Jesus did. Let's ask him for oneness. We're not all going to become Republicans. We're not all going to become Democrats or Libertarians or whatever. But let's ask him for oneness. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it hasn't and it never will. Let's do what Jesus did. 
Let's pray for oneness. And the second thing, and you're going to think this is hard, but I don't think it's as hard as you think. Let's look for opportunities to show unconditional love to someone who disagrees with you politically. Because then the world will know that we're his disciples by the way we loved one another. And why should we do this? So that more people will see and hear and believe and they will come to Christ. Stand with me this morning. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's do it. Two things. Two things. We're going to pray for oneness and we're going to reach out with unconditional love with people who are in a different political party. You are not going to have to look far, I guarantee you. Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for your love for your church, us. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in our church family. And Lord, as we, as we, as, as we, as we, as a church family, as we're willing to step into uncharted waters here to be obedient to what you call us to do and what you prayed for us, We are joining with you, agreeing with you in prayer, and we're committing to action in it. Do it in us and through us, and we look for fruits of this that will honor you in your name. And in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, Amen, guys. Are we singing? Let's sing. Do it.